last became my prison. Love was waiting with the key. My story was my failure. Now my story is redeemed.
Good morning, church. Good to see you. I'm Steve. Would you stand up? We're going to be uh, singing some songs together about how great God is. You guys believe that, right? Yeah.
into this place here. We get to celebrate with the rest of this family to let you know what you mean to us, to let you know that you are the light in our lives and we want to be a light to the rest of this world. God, we know that when we come together and we gather in your name, that you promise to be in the midst of us, that we, you promise that you'd be here. So we call upon that light, we call upon that spirit in this place today, and we give you glory.
we're supposed to be a light to this world. Let's give him everything we can. Would you guys have a seat? Go ahead and watch this. I'm just out of it today. This is my friend Jordan right here. Good morning. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. My name is Jordan, and we are, hi Steve, we are very excited that you guys have come to join us, particularly on today. This is obviously Memorial Day weekend. Folks have a whole lot going on, so I'm glad you guys are here. We would be remiss if we didn't at least take a very quick moment and acknowledge what the upcoming holiday is about. You know, we are, we are so grateful to have the opportunity to be able to gather like we are right now to worship freely. Most of the people in the world and most of the people throughout history have not had that opportunity. And so we do not want to take this for granted. We are eternally grateful for those who have made the ultimate sacrifice and for he who made the ultimate sacrifice. And we, we don't ever want to take that for granted. And we are so glad that you guys are here today, knowing all the places that you could be. We want to make you aware of a couple of things that we do have going on here at the church, though. Coming up this week on Thursday, our Oasis Luncheon will be happening. Now, I figured, I found this out a little while ago. OASIS is an acronym. It stands for old, what is it? Older adults still in service. Okay, so we didn't ascribe an age to this, and I'm not going to because I'm not going to try to get in trouble. All I will tell you is I'm 32. I'm probably not going to go, but I would consider going. So if you're older than 32, you can consider going to this. All right, that's as far as I'm going to delve into that. That is happening this Thursday afternoon. Uh, well, lunch will be at noon down in the Family Life Center. Immediately following that, they're going to have a couple hours of games, board games, that sort of thing. So uh, if that interests you, you can attend. I may or may not be there, but I'm sure it's going to be a wild time nonetheless. Uh, next, we have coming up this Sunday, um, as you guys will recall, uh, our summer staycation series has become quite legendary here at Capital City over the last couple of years. Uh, this is where we take each Sunday throughout the summer and do a different theme. Remember that from last year? Uh, I don't know what the themes are going to be this year, whether they'll be the same or different. Uh, so you're going to have to attend to find out. But we are very excited about this coming Sunday, the kickoff, because it is Donut Sunday. All right, National Donut Day is Friday, so we want to you know, keep on the cutting edge of things. We're going to celebrate next week Donut Sunday, so come. I think there's going to be donuts here. And remember this, eating a donut is a spiritual experience. Okay, I'm going to change the way you eat donuts from now on. No, I'm serious, okay? Because you take a donut, right? It's, it's round. It has a hole in the middle. It's missing something, kind of like I am or I was, and you are, you, you were. But you get a donut hole, ironically called a donut hole, you stick it in there, kind of like Jesus came and filled that hole that was in my heart. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I agree. So every time you have a donut, it's a spiritual experience. We are very spiritual at our house, or at least I am, so I try to have a spiritual experience like that as much as I can. And next week, you guys can too. So we're really excited about that. Finally, as you guys are aware, we've been doing this uh, since the beginning of the year, our 12,000 nudge campaign. We are trying to nudge throughout 2022 12,000 folks closer to Jesus, right? We've done several throughout the months. For June, we're doing kind of an interesting one. You notice probably as you came in, we've got these big tubs of rubber duckies out there. So as you're going out, grab one of these. The way this is going to work, you know, summertime, we're always on the move. There's a lot going on. People are in and out of town, that sort of thing. And church can get put on the back burner. But that is not where it should be. The Bible says that we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, right? Whether we're in town, out of town, it doesn't have to be capital city. We want you guys to be in church, and we want to encourage other believers to be in church. So take one of these. Give it to somebody that you know and encourage them. It comes with a little note that says, don't duck out on church this summer. Very clever. I did not come up with this. Uh, but you can take them, give them. Now, this is cool. We want people to attend church. It doesn't have to be Capital City. It can be anywhere. But the added bonus is if they do come back to Capital City and they bring one of these little ducks, they can exchange it for a gift. So let folks know about that. We want to do a 1,000 of these 
this month of June, all right, to stay on track with our 12,000 nudges. I'm really, I, I'm excited about this campaign. I don't want to let this slip away. So make sure to encourage somebody to be together. Like we're happy that you guys are here with us today. In regard to today's service, we're going to talk about something that's pretty cool. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I find most fascinating about life and the way it appears that God designed it is that it's understood in the context of story. Right? You're living your story. I'm living mine. We together are living a greater story. Well, the creation story began and is still being played out before our eyes. Right? Even as kids, we understand life is presented to us through the context of story, through fairy tales and, and uh, old stories like that. But one thing we know about story, every great story has what? A villain. Right? And as kids, it can be easy to identify in the stories who the villain were. Like it was always the wicked witch or the evil king. But as you, get, as you become an adult, like it gets harder and harder sometimes to identify who the villain in a given situation or story is, right? We've got some stories floating around pop culture right now, and it can be hard to identify who the villain is. One that's kind of comes to mind is this story right here. Anybody following this, right? Team Johnny versus Team Amber. Now, I realize, now, I realize that for some of you, it's not difficult to identify who you think the villain is. Right, you got this, I mean, you got this in the palm of your hand. You got it all figured out. I mean, you've, you've been reading up on it and all that sort of thing. I'll be honest with you, I haven't paid a lick of attention to any of this. Although I am an attorney, I have no idea what is going on in this lawsuit. So I, ha I don't know who to believe, who's lying. Maybe they could all be lying, I don't know. But I am curious, if you've been following this, how many of you guys are on Team Amber? I'm, okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing many hands. How many of you guys in the alternative are on Team Johnny? Look at that. Oh, he's a Kentucky boy. He'd never do anything wrong. That's what I thought. That's kind, of what I, that's kind of what I figured. How many of you guys actually have a life and you don't have time to follow celebrity gossip? Right? Good. All right. That's, that's the right answer. That's the way it is. Okay, so that one, that one can be um, more difficult for some. Um, other situations, maybe it's a little easier to identify, we feel like, who the villain is. Another one, how about this one, right? The conflict in Ukraine, Zelensky versus Putin. I mean, we feel like, as Westerners, or more particularly as Americans, we feel like we know who the villain is here, the aggressor, right? A little more cut and dry. But how about in our lives as Christians in America? You know, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but for a long time here in America, we were the good guys. We were viewed as the good guys. Our values aligned with the values of culture. But in recent years, that sort of started to shift, right? Cult cultural values have changed, and now we are starting to be viewed more and more as the villains, the bad guys. And that's not all bad. That's kind of, we, we knew it was going to be that way. We know it's going to get probably worse, right? But when we're confronted with this reality, when we become the villains or the bad guys in a culture, we have several options. And that's what we're going to talk about a little more in depth. Vern's going to, Vern's going to enlighten us on that subject. We're, we're confronted with several options. The first is we could just compromise, right? If values are changing the culture, why don't we just change our values to meld with the culture? In the alternative, maybe we could just shirk away. We can retreat, right? Rather than try to have influence on the culture, we'll just isolate ourselves and give up that influence. That doesn't exactly feel right. Some folks have, uh, have taken the battle cry. We're going to put our stake in the ground. We're not going to give up any cultural ground. We're going to, in fact, try to reclaim it, right? So we can compromise. We can retreat. We can go to war. Is that really? Are those the alternatives for a Christ follower? There is a fourth way, and that's what Vern's going to kind of delve into here in a little bit. It's what Jesus described as being a city on a hill, right? A light in the darkness. We don't have to compromise. We don't have to give up our influence, but there is a way that we can navigate this so that we can be that shining city on a hill. He's going to break that down for us here in just a little bit. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you guys to stand back up. We're
We're going to worship the one who is worthy.
according to Doc, which was very, 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 did I say very long time ago? So you're a tough guy. Bad guys wore black hats. All right? That's the way it was back then. Matter of fact, if you wore a black hat that was dressed in black, you were doing one of two things, generally. Going to a funeral, or you were the bad guy. You know, if that's just kind of the way it was back then. But, it's found interesting to me is how popular bad guys have become today. Matter of fact, overall across the movie screen, there's a bunch of them. So I googled popular villains and found the greatest villain list of our day. And I want to give you the top five out of 20, okay? Number five is good old Hannibal Lester. Anthony Hopkins, he made Hannibal uh, legendary in the movie The Silence of the Lambs. Number four is Hans Gruber in Die Hard, Doc's favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> number four, let's give you, yeah, n number three. <laughs> That's awesome. Number four is Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Number three is uh, Tim uh, Hiddleston. He played Loki, the, the god of mis mischief in Marvel Studios. Number two is the Joker, the prince of crime, played by many characters. One is, of course, Heath Ledger and my favorite, Cesar Romero. Yeah. You probably don't even remember him playing that because I'm old. Yeah. Anyway, anybody think of who's number one maybe? Ooh, man, that was quick. All right. It is. It's Darth Vader, man. It's number one. Yeah. So how many of you guys like bad guys? As a matter of fact, if you could choose to be a bad guy, who would you choose? Would you be like Hannibal, you know? Misleading an FBI agent, you're kind of the sinister little guy. Or maybe Darth Vader traveling through the galaxy, and striking terror in the hearts of everyone you come across. You know, folks, I've reviewed a lot of things. I kind of figured out that uh, why does our culture view us to be a bad guy? What have we done to deserve the name bad guy? I want to share with you some reasons we are viewed as the bad guy. Matter of fact, from a little book entitled Being the Bad Guy by Stephen McAlpin. Matter of fact, I encourage you, if you would, to, to purchase that book and read it for the upcoming series will be later on in the fall that will help uh, enlighten you and even uh, get you right back on page with what's going on here. But before we go any further, one thing I do think it's necessary is for all of us to be on the same page. So I want to define what a bad guy really is. And according to the Collins English Dictionary, a bad guy is a person in a story or film who is considered to be evil or wicked or who is fighting on the wrong side. Now, that's their description of a bad guy. But I bet you never thought yourself to be a bad guy. You didn't fit that description. But I'm guessing that in the past couple of years, maybe you had a little chat with a neighbor or, or a friend and uh, that didn't maybe go so well. And you've overheard some good old break room talk about uh, between work colleagues expressing anger over Christian values and Christian views on particular issues. Or maybe you've read an article, a piece in the media taking pot shots at uh, biblical ethics. And folks, when you stop and think about it, when they come against us and say that we're the bad guy, that hurts. That hurts us at times. 
So how and when and why did that even happen? Why are we called the bad guys? In the eyes of the Western society, Christians, Jesus followers, if I may, are the bad guys, and Christianity, Jesus, is the problem. Christianity was considered as good. It was seen as a solution to what was bad. Christianity was the good side. But rather than being on the wrong side of the law, we were the law, pretty much. Christian morality was assumed and, and passed mainly unchallenged. So we got to do a lot of good things, like public prayer, Bible reading in school. We could hold the sanctity of life very high and the belief in marriage between a man and a, and a woman. You know, our culture has shifted, folks, and, and these good things are viewed now with hostility and, and deep suspicion by our neighbors and even by some of our friends. And they're more than happy to let us know where they stand. Now, in the traditional world, or referred to in, as I'm going through here as the T world, biblical values form the understanding of how life was to be lived where society was held together by the recognition of, of biblical family issue, biblical family relationships, again, as I said earlier, between a man and a woman. And they were committed to that. They were committed to that situation, committed to that relationship to make sure that it would work. And society saw this family values as being good and a pathway to seeing a flourishing life. But the T world is being pushed aside by this new I world. The new I world focuses on self, focuses on what I want, what's best for me, my purpose, my meaning, my life. In this new I world, the authenticity is defined by how true you are to yourself. For example, 57-year-old Philip Schofield, you may have read this article, a well-known TV personality in Britain. Married for 27 years, has two daughters, is celebrated when he came, made the announcement on Instagram that he was gay. Many applauded him because he was being true to himself. Paul Maxwell, former Moody professor and author of Desiring God, he announces that he is no longer a Christian. Maxwell said, get this, I think it's important to say that I'm not a Christian anymore, and it feels good. I'm, get that, I'm really happy. And again, he celebrated for being true to himself. And the sad part of that is he's also probably leading Christians away because here's this spiritual leader denying who God really is. You can read online articles, news stories, movies, and these all showcase people who once were lost or confused or struggling with identity and have now been freed by being true to themselves, who they really are. One last one I'd like to share with you about, many of you, you know it's a little bit older than those two, is the former Bruce Jenner, the Olympic champion, the decathlete, and a picture of masculinity. When he is unveiled now as Caitlin. Jenner, again, is celebrated with an example of how we can soar above our pain and our hurt and become someone new. But it's all of our own making. 
So the bottom line is, folks, this new I world preaches a rival gospel. They have their own gospel that clashes with a God-honoring gospel, a narrative that seeks first to expose the Christian gospel as bad news and then to replace it with much-needed good news of the I-world. This new I-world gospel promotes freedom and joy for the world. But wait a minute, aren't, aren't, aren't those the Christian ideas? Aren't those the same biblical ideas that we have? Isn't the language to describe the future new creation? Isn't that it? Freedom and human dignity are God-honoring concepts, and these ideas are grounded in Scripture. They form the basis for the Christian movement, that Christian movement that changed the world. Everyone wants the fruit of these ideas, but not so much the root of these ideas. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, one guy says that... Our progressive culture seeks the kingdom without a king. The ambition is to replicate the kingdom, this kingdom that we serve, the kingdom vision of a good life like we do, a future world of human rights and dignity and freedom and love and equality like we do, but with one hitch. The I world wants to do it without Jesus at the very center. So now if King Jesus has been removed from that I-world kingdom, so now I want to reiterate who sits back on that throne. We do. It's me. It's you. That's what the I-world says. It's all about us. This new kingdom promotes meaning and purpose within that individual. It's, again, I'm going to echo what I've already said before. This new I-world is talking about everything of what I want what I believe, what I desire. And just like Randy said last week, folks, we need to drive a stake in the ground that we go no further. This I world's compass is not pointed toward outward to God, but it's pointed inward to ourselves. And we've become the source. The individual has become the source of meaning and not God. And we only let those people, matter of fact, that I world says that we only let people around us and be close to us that agree with who we are. Folks, it's like you're saying, man, you're painting this bad picture. I think I'll just get up and go out. Well, our, our culture, folks, is not headed back into a, an old pre-Christian experience. But, folks, we're headed forward into a new post-Christian, one that is hugely hostile to biblical values. Listen, guys, like Jordan talked about earlier, there's choices that we need to make. There's four of them. Three of them are wrong, and one of them is the only God-honoring choice that we can do. And the first wrong choice that Jesus' followers can make is to compromise. Just so we're all on the same page, I like to define things. I like to know where, where everybody's at, where we're all coming from. Webster's Dictionary says that compromise is when two sides give up some demands to meet somewhere in the middle. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, we, you know, we find politicians, and they can negotiate and compromise to pass a bill. Union workers negotiate and compromise on a contract for certain workforce. 
Husbands and wives negotiate and compromise to make a healthy marriage relationship. Well, since we negotiate and compromise in just about every area of our life, then it stands to reason that we should compromise on our faith in Jesus Christ, right? Makes sense. Well, but Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my Jesus follower, must deny himself, which is totally against. Matter of fact, that's my part. I'm not rewriting the Bible, okay? Which is totally against this new I world gospel and take up their cross and follow me. Doesn't sound like much room for negotiation when I read that passage of Scripture. Folks, have you ever heard the story about this young man who back in, during the Civil War couldn't decide whose side he wanted to fight for? He put on the jacket of the North and the trousers of the South. You know what happened to him? He got shot at from both sides. So many times, folks, I feel like we're like that man. We're like that young fellow that couldn't decide which side he wanted to fight on. I think that Christianity, today, or Jesus followers, are, are having that trouble deciding which side where they want to drive that stake in the ground, where we really want to be. We will serve and accept, uh, you know, we, we want to serve God and, and do the right thing, but yet we still agree with some of the things that's going on in this I world and accepting what's there. But Jesus said this, and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and, and despise the other. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be a bad guy here, but yes, I, I want to be the bad guy. I want to be the best bad guy I can be, but I also want to share with you that I fear too many Jesus followers drink of this I world. From Monday through Friday, I think that's all. And then at times, then they even consider on Sunday morning when they're here hearing about good Christian values and what Jesus followers could do, they question what's going on because they drink too much from the I world to start with. And it's all about God honoring values. It's what's going to help us be the best bad guy that we can be. But folks, it's very important for us to decide beforehand to drive that stake in the ground, to decide who and what I believe. As a Jesus follower, we'll be asked what, what I believe about the LGBTQ movement. I'll be asked what I think about same-sex marriage. I'm going to be asked uh, what I think about a child that has two moms or two dads instead of a traditional dad and mom. And now, folks, whether you're an adult or whether you're a child, if you're a Jesus follower, these are going to be tough questions to answer. But we need to be prepared. We need to understand. We need to have our stake in the ground and knowing what I believe before we even face those issues. One of the early Jesus followers by the name of Paul, who was in prison for even believing in Jesus Christ. Now, listen to me. Listen carefully. He said, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise in the way that you answer. Make the most of the opportunity when you're confronted with these issues about your faith. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Ooh, Vern, that just really sounds simple, doesn't it? Listen, guys. 
Our job is to be the best bad guy that we can be. We need to be ready to give an answer for what we believe in. Don't back off. But notice what Paul says here. To give your answer with grace and truth. To use wisdom when we answer questions in this I world. Love them. Don't hate them. Love them. Share them with grace, but hold on to the truth. Which brings me to a second response that is wrong. And that's where we can build our own little fortress. Now that's where we can withdraw into our own little circle. We can build a moat, if you would, kind of around our church buildings and around our home and try to shut the world out. We're not going to be a part of it. We're just not going to take part. We're just going to ignore what's going on. But that's the danger we face, folks, withdrawing into, into this as we lose contact with other Jesus followers. We lose contact even with society and the community. Folks, throughout church history, many have taught the idea that, that I'll call it salvation by uh, separation, is believing that we can achieve this holiness or we can achieve to be better if we don't associate or have any contact with sinners. Matter of fact, this, this kind of teaching even goes back, predates Christianity. Jesus did not, though, withdraw from the world. Neither should we as Jesus followers. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And the lost folks are gathered in this world. To stay out of the, the public eye or the public sphere, away from sinners, is never a, an, an oper, excuse me, a permanent opportunity for any of us. We need to be out in the world. We need to be that light in the world. I fear that all of us too often we blame the world for our failure to in, engage it. We don't want to face reality. We're more comfortable kind of hiding in our own little thing or not saying anything that we are uh, Christian because this culture uh, will do whatever it takes to snuff out our light. They're going to do whatever it takes to even, if you may, put a bushel over our light. But one thing that we can't do as Jesus follower is invent bushels to cover our light with. Folks, we need to continue to be that light of the world. There's a third wrong measure that we can do. And that's what Jordan said about go to war. Now, folks, we think there's a, some validity for us to go to war against the I world. Because you know what? We're citizens here. We're citizens in the same world that they are. And we have a responsibility to fight. We got to fight for equality. We got to fight for justice. And that's exactly what the I world wants us to do. They want us to physically war against them. You know why? So they can vilify everything that we do. You see, you're not loving me, you're fighting. Our Savior did not call us to hit up protests, to lead rallies. He called us to be a nation of truth, of grace, of justice, and human dignity. Folks, listen. We cannot force, we cannot force people to act like Jesus followers. Amen. Without Jesus at the center of their life, they're just going through the motions. But folks, it's our duty to demonstrate to this I world what a God-honoring life looks like. Not to war with them, not to be isolated from them. 
but we are to be out into the world to choose that God-honoring response to this shifting culture that's around us. Now, what I'd like to share with you about today also is the most important choice and the God-honoring choice, the only God-honoring choice that we could ever make. And folks, that's to be a light on the hill. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city built on a hill. Now, just think about that as Cap City. Think about that as you as an individual. This is the only God-honoring choice for any Jesus follower to take. Folks, the early church up front was commissioned to do one thing, and that was to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And guess what? That's exactly what they did. They went out and changed the world. Their focus was on what Jesus had called them to do, and our focus needs to be in the same place. Matter of fact, even in the early church at times, they disregarded their own comfort, their own safety, and even their own life. And a lot of times in our culture today, we don't even want to say anything about being a Christian because, well, somebody's going to say something bad about me. Well, duh. Jesus said, hey, if they insulted me, they're going to insult you. But folks, these guys, these early Christians, they changed the world. And we can change the world that we are involved in by being that light. Angley Stanley wrote in his latest book, Not In It to Win It, early Christians were not despised for their behavior. They were despised by the empire for their allegiance to Christ. Man, huh? Imagine if that were the only legitimate charge that could ever be leveled against us. Isn't that wild? Hmm? There was a fellow by the name of Peter who traveled around with Jesus about, well, three years during his ministry, and he gives us a little bit of insight on how to be the best bad guy that we can be in this high world. Matter of fact, we start off there in 1 Peter 4 where he reads, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange was happening. Listen. Listen to what Peter's saying here. He says, well, first off, very obvious, don't think it's strange that the iWorld culture is going to hate you. Don't think that's weird. It vilifies you for holding on to the principles that you know that's true in Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised when you get dissed for taking a stand for God-honoring values like the sanctity of life. Don't be surprised that when we hold high the marriage between man and woman, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when we say that, you know, we need to identify with the gender that you're born with. Don't be surprised that you're going to be ridiculed for those values. But Peter says also, when you're ridiculed, when you're insulted, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Isn't that cool? Wow, what a concept. For the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal uh, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear 
his name. Now that's just weird. It's all you can say. It is weird. Because what Peter is telling us is completely opposite of what we have, how we really want to react. For us to rejoice when we get ditched or insulted? Huh, I'm an American, I got my rights. Right? Listen to me, guys. As a Jesus follower, being an American should not be the guiding light that directs the way we react to this I culture. Our actions and our responses need to be God-honoring, governed by the principles and the light of our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not about my rights. It's about my Lord is what this is all about. Listen, we need to be the best bad guy that we can be, demonstrating this grace and truth that we hear so much about but we even demonstrate it, that grace and truth, when we come in with conflict of culture. I got a question for you. How you doing? How you doing with your conversation when it comes into discussing biblical values, Christian values, God-honoring values? Or is your, is your tongue full of grace and truth? Or is it full of anger and hate? Folks, I know it's difficult to be gracious when we hear about abortions. I know it's, it's tough to be gracious when we, we think about same-sex marriages, incest, hate speech against God, just to name a few. But we need to be, we need to bite our tongue and not fire back in anger with words that's going to hurt people and divide people. Again, let me echo, that is exactly what the eye world expects us to do because that's what they want to do to us. But let's show them what a bad guy is all about. Let's show them love and mercy and grace while holding on to God-honoring truth. Folks, that's what it takes to be a light on the hill. That's what Peter says is, a, is suffering is all about. He goes on and he says, but those who suffer according to God's will. Got another question for you. Have you suffered for God's will? Have you been ditched? Have you been ridiculed? just for living a God-honoring life? Folks, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand. I'm not asking that at all. Because each one of us, folks, we, we can answer that. We know whether we've been ditched. We know if we insulted. We know if we're following God's will. But Peter tells us that when you suffer, that, they, that you're going to be insulted, okay? But he goes on, and I love this part. When he, when he continues to write, he says, those who suffer should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Continue to be the bad guy. 
Peter's telling us, and what he was trying to relate in here is, when we do suffer for being God-honoring, don't back down, but lean in to the values in Jesus Christ, because that's where our strength is. That's where we're going to find strength to hold on. It's not of my own doing. It's that the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is what we need to tap into. Even when the pressures of the eye world seem so strong, hold on to Jesus. Don't give in. Don't compromise. Hold on. Be a light in this world. Show the best way to live life, a God-honoring way, by doing good to those who abuse you. Now, folks, let me quick, quickly run down through some of these things we've looked at here. The first wrong choice we talked about is I said, don't compromise. Don't compromise our faith or buy into the tricks or the schemes of this world. And you've got to be careful with that because the I world sounds so good that it may fit right into my beliefs. But beware. Don't compromise. Don't even compromise to be accepted. Then the second wrong choice is to hide from the I world. But remember, Remember, we've been commissioned to seek and to save the lost. That's what our Lord did. He came to seek and to save the lost. So let's not kind of pull in from the rest of the world. And the third wrong choice that we talked about was to fight. Let's not be known as good fighters. Let's be known as good lovers. Good lovers of grace and mercy. Which brings me to the last one. The only God-honoring choice is to be a light on a hill that we commit ourselves every day to live life for God, with God, God's way. Push yourself. Push yourself to be the best bad guy that you can even want to be. Matter of fact, even when being a bad guy pushes you out of your comfort zone. I mean, I remember the first time we... Gail and I kind of, we were here for the first look luncheon and, and we walked through the building and Doc was doing the tour. And I remember the first time I heard Doc say that the leadership of Capital City Christian Church will do anything short of sin to win souls to Christ. You know, that unnerved me a bit. It unnerved me. But when I thought about it and I researched a little bit for and I prayed about it, isn't that the same thing that Jesus did? That he did everything short of sin? to win others to Christ, wouldn't he be the light of the world for he can show what God's light is all about? Well, Jesus broke religious protocol and, and tradition by associating with prostitutes and thieves and liars and the outcasts of society for one reason and one reason only, to show them a better way to live, to show them that God loves them, to show them that God wants them to be a part of the family. So I want to encourage you to be the best bad guy you can be. You don't have to worry about wearing a black hat. We're already labeled the bad guy. But let's do it with love, mercy, and grace and give God the honor and the glory that's due him. Amen. Let's sing together if you would, please.
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you.
He is the one that has brought us here today. Because of his work on a cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, Father, we come into this place here today and celebrate what it is that you have done. And every time that we gather together, Father, we want to be able to celebrate that Jesus has given us this brand new life, given us a hope that we didn't have before. He's filled our hearts. Father, thank you for introducing him to, to each of us here today. We can't hope, can't keep it in anymore. We have to tell the world how amazing he is and how wonderful he is and what he's done. Father, just be with each of us and spur us on to, to tell the world about what it is that he, he means to each of us, what it is that he has done for us, so that we get to know you that we, in the way that we do. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Here at Cap City, we take communion together uh, in a kind of maybe of a different way if you've never been here before. We're going to go to the tables in just a few moments, and you're going to be able to take the bread and the juice together. It is a memorial service that we offer every week so that we can remember that Jesus Christ has died for us. If you'd like to know more information about it, we'd love to tell you about it. We'd love to talk to you about it. Because what we do is we want to make sure that it is always in our hearts what it is that Jesus has done. And so when we gather together, we get to celebrate that sacrifice. So the bread and the juice, so, and they both represent his body and his blood. So in a few moments, you'll be able to go to each of the uh, stations and do that. If this place, uh, you call it your home and you want to give an offering, we also have the, the black boxes at each of the stations. We also have this very strange thing. You probably don't see it in a lot of churches called a generous bucket. That's the big white things that you see there. And when you go to that, and if you have anything beyond your offering that you'd like to give, people in need in this community, it'll be available to you. So let's go ahead and go to the stations right now and remember what Jesus has done for every one of us. morning. This is really, really cool. This is Brandon, Bailey, Jamie, and they brought a Girl Scout troop with them. It's pretty amazing. But they actually want to join our church family, which I always find so cool. Is that not neat? 
pretty easy to be a part of this church family, essentially, if he's your king. And you want us to be your family, you're welcome here. And so I'm going to ask you to make that confession of faith. This is what binds us together as a family. I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. Son of the living God. My Lord and my Savior. My Lord and my Savior. Thank you so much, guys. You're so welcome in our family. Thank you so much. Cool. Brandon. You can have a seat with Dr. Nick. Before I let you go, just a little preview of what's coming starting next week. We're going to start a new series. and There's a 900-year-old church in a small French village called Angleville Alplain. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. It's a few miles from Utah Beach where about 21,000 American troops landed on D-Day. The day before that landing, paratroopers from the 101st Airborne were dropped behind the lines. Two of the 101st Airborne's young medics, they spotted a church. They set up an aid station to treat the wounded. And it didn't matter to them whether the wounded were Americans, Germans, or even the civilians who were French. If you were to visit that church today, you'd see bloodstains on the floors, and you'd see bloodstains on the pews, because the church left them there. They didn't replace the pews, they didn't clean the pews up, they didn't cover up the blood stains, they just left them there. Because they thought it was a symbol of what the church is supposed to be all about. A church is a place where the wounded are treated no matter what uniform they wear. In fact, the mayor of Angoville said these guys would kill each other in the cemetery and they'd heal each other in the church. And guys, that's still happening all around us. It's a metaphor for the church. People are still killing each other, wounding each other outside these walls. And irrespective of the uniform, we hope that they find healing inside these walls. Now, there's no physical blood stains on our chairs, but a lot of people, a lot of us have bled here from spiritual wounds. More than that, there's a place for the wounded to come injured to bleed, for people to be healed, for the hurting to be cared for, and it doesn't matter who they are, what they've done, or where they've been. That's the kind of church we want to be, a church with blood-stained pews. And it's the name of the series that we're going to be starting next week. And a lot of the ideas that we're going to be talking about are coming from this book by Carl Kuhl called Blood-Stained Pews. In fact, if you want a copy of that, we've got some copies in our connections room if you want to read a little bit ahead. We hope you're going to come back for this brand new series, but as for right now, please go away. Thank you.